Hi guys, we're uh, we've been rowing for quite a while now in this little rowboat. How, how's everyone going? Not bad, but maybe you should uh, call Konshu. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. I think he might be able to help us. I'm gonna have to call us out. This, I'm pretty sure we've been at this island before. Is it, why is this taking so long? It's like a, it's a rowboat island. We're slackers. I'm getting tired too. Yeah. Which one of you? <laughs> Just myself at the moment. <laughs> well, our guest is waiting on Isla Ra. So, how about you kick it out? Good idea. Calling him came in. Hello, this is Gonchu. What can I do for you? Well, we need to get somewhere fast. Like, dangerously fast. And we're not talking rowboat, we're talking the best you can give us. You gave a crazy man the ability to be even crazier and punch harder. But what can you give four lovely podcasters to get to a weird island in the middle of nowhere? Hmm, I, uh, I do like you all. How are you going, Rebecca? How's it going, Chad? What's up? Connor, you, you're doing well? Um, Ray, not so much. Ah, uh, yes, I can give you some special powers to make your journey quicker. Let it be so. Oh, this is incredible. Look, I've got iron armor. I'm gonna fly to Isla Ra. See ya! Awesome. Thanks, Konshu. You know who I truly am on the inside. A robot that turns into a submarine. And you know my true wish. I just, I just, I just don't, don't want to be wanna here. here. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um... Yeah, as, as Chad flies away in his astral form. Um, look, oh, what's happened here? Oh, hello, Ray. Hi, how are you? Cool, hello. I can make duplicates of myself. What I'll do is I'll stay in this boat, I'll take care of Chad's body, and we'll all row down to Isla Ra. Hooray! Welcomes you to the 50th episode of Into the Nights, a Moon Knight podcast. Whilst the High Priests and the Power of Chad make their way to the Isle of Ar, I just wanted to take the opportunity to thank all the Moony listeners for listening in on the past 50 episodes. If this is your first episode, then I hope you enjoy what you hear. Sit back and enjoy the glory. Yay! 
Yes, welcome back, Looney listeners. This is our massive 50th episode for Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. Uh, your co-hosts have safely arrived, and look at this, we are on the Isle of Ra. I can hear steel drums, I can see beach balls, I can see machine guns. It's fantastic. Um, so, uh, Rebecca, have you made yourself, uh, made it okay to Isle of Ra? Yeah, yeah, I got here first, of course, made some tea, yes. got it all sorted for you all. <laughs> and uh, not long ago, I think I saw um, emerging from the depths of the water, Connor. You made it okay? Uh, yes, fantastically in a very nice submarine form, except Rebecca didn't offer me any tea. And she <laughs> left all the machine guns out, so it's pretty rude. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I've dragged Chad's body across here with uh, my multiples. Um, and uh, Chad, Chad, are you, you okay? <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Chad's back in his body. And we are very, very excited to have our special guest. We've been keeping it under wraps. But, um, yeah, we have none other than Jason Burrows on the show. Hi, Jason. Welcome. Hello, hello. Uh, Yeah, Jason's just been um, lapping it up, getting a suntan on the Isle of Ra, waiting for us. We're all here now. And, uh, yeah, we'll just really get stuck stuck into it. Um, And, yeah, basically get to know... Uh, a bit more about yourself, Jason. Um, what we usually do, kicking off, uh, is um, asking a few, a few questions to, to kind of, you know, get to know you. Uh, I'll let Connor kick us off here. Well, Jason Burrows, as we always start on this Isla Ra, um, getting to know you, getting to know yourself, our big special guest. We just want to know how you got into comics and all that led to being here on this small podcast on a small island in an ocean. Well, originally, um, I didn't. I didn't grow up with anybody who was into comics. Like most people have, like a big brother or an uncle or something. Like I just, uh, I like to draw a lot, and I saw books that had pictures, so I liked them. But I wasn't necessarily as into comics as as some kids because they were just basically the same thing as like kids' books. It was just mm-hmm. pretty pictures. But as I uh, got a little older, um, I started like so. So basically. Whenever my grandmother would babysit me, she would take me to the grocery store and sit me down in front of the magazine rack and tell me not to move. <laughs> so it, if I behaved, she would buy me one comic book. And, you know, this is, I, I guess, late 70s, early 80s. I'm a little bit older. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I just I just liked looking at the pictures. I wasn't really reading anything. But I always gravitated towards things like Sergeant Rock because uh, the war stuff just seemed cooler to me than the the, the superhero stuff, which all seemed a bit corny at Mm -hmm. at that point. Like, I hadn't realized that comics could have an edge, like superhero comics specifically. Mm. Uh, But it wasn't until um, I started seeing things like heavy metal that Mm. I was like, oh my god, these things are cool. You know, all of a sudden there's blood and boobs and craziness. (laughs) Yeah, so that, that kind of opened the door initially. And then when I got a little bit older, I made friends with people who actually... Uh, were like legitimate collectors, people who had like most of a run of X Men or something. Mm-hmm. Then I got intrigued enough to start going to stores, and then I found my own little niche of stuff that I like. Um, but it was also it was it was mostly based around my love of ninjas, which was like a really big thing in the eighties. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of hard to, to to you know get an idea of what that was like, but like right around like the early 80s the ninja thing was crazy like they were they were our superheroes so like they're 
you know, through that I found like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which yeah. led to Daredevil, which <laughs> led to you know all GI Joe and all that stuff. There was a lot of like. Like, G.I. Joe was real big, too, because they actually had television commercials that were animated to advertise yeah. comics, which was oh, crazy. Wow. It'd be amazing well, to see that kind of thing again. Yeah, well, the the, um, the toy figures were quite big back in the 80s, weren't they, as well? I, I yeah, remember them. Absolutely. Um, yeah, as you say, yeah, the commercials. Yeah, we, we, um, we had a lot of action, man, in the UK. I think mm-hmm. I'm probably around the same age and had similar kind of introductions to things, so... With a lot yeah, of action. Those man. little three inch figures were great. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I miss on the Action Man, uh, the G.I. and G.I. Joe and Action Man, because, like, we're, uh, a lot, I mean, you're a lot younger when you guys, but in the 2000s, they basically, like, kick started all those again. So you got, like, the 75th oh. iteration of Transformers, you got new Ninja Turtles, He Man, all that stuff. But for some reason, we never got a new G.I. Joe show back in the day. So I was oh. always, so they're always, like, older figures, or like, oh, action figures. They. Action man, they can't be turtles. So, I mean, <laughs> now, I'm, I'm not just a big G.I. Joe head, but it's good. Tangent. There, there <laughs> was um, a Warren Ellis written G.I. Joe animated miniseries Whoa. that was oh. really hardcore and really cool, but like nobody's heard of it. But if you look for it, uh, I forget exactly what it was called, but the fact that it was Warren Ellis, you know, you, you kind of yeah. know what to expect. Yeah. 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 <laughs> wow. Fantastic. So actually, um, uh, oh yeah, I was just going to say, the actual silent interlude uh, you included was actually the first thing a G.I. Joe I ever got into, which was actually my entry. Oh wow. Pretty cool yeah. to dig back into yeah. that. And and sorry, just for um, just to remind the loonies, so what we do, we do have a, a swag of books that Jason has chosen for Isla Ra, um, and uh, yeah, we, what we'll do on the episode summary, <clears throat> connected to this episode, we'll have like an encrypted link there. So if you don't want to be spoiled and, and want to have these comics revealed to you during the episode, um, stay away from the links. Otherwise, if you want to pre-read them, uh, just click on the link um, before you listen to any any further to this episode. Uh, have, a, have a little read and then jump back into the, to the episode. But yeah, very interesting stuff. Uh, Jason, also as well, just going back to like when you first started, because it, it always still kind of really interests me, uh, when you're saying that you like drawing in general um, to begin with, uh, what kind of stuff? If it wasn't like, um, if it wasn't uh, like comics and, and superhero-y stuff, when you were young, was it uh, were they like uh, mythology, like myth- mythological creatures, or, or was it um, uh, la- I don't know, landscapes or, or just portraiture stuff like that? Um, I think like a lot of kids, there was a lot of variety, but like yeah. primarily the one thing I've been obsessed with since I was very young is monsters. So I yeah. did lots of like vignettes of werewolves ripping people in half and like haunted <laughs> houses and, yeah. you know it was there, it, it's I, I drew a lot of uh, creepy stuff from a very early age at one point I actually had a teacher that was concerned and like ah. we I uh, we I visited with a child psychologist at her bequest and uh, they were like no 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 this is just creativity absolutely <laughs> no big deal and I now make a, a living drawing creepy stuff yeah. so it worked out <laughs> so but yeah so, monsters was my main thing ah so so you're like that little kid in the movies when um you know you know in the <laughs> in the horror movies when the the parents go look what little Timmy's drawn <laughs> pretty much yeah yeah I think I had a uh, I think it was it was a way to kind of uh deal with childhood fear you know like like nightmares mm. and, and just being scared of the world in some way like when you when you kind of adopt the monsters mm. you're safe from them i guess i don't know child yeah. logic 
Yeah, no, it make, makes sense. Like you, you, You're kind of almost behind the scenes and you get to know the monsters a bit more and they become less scary. So, um, yeah, awesome. But yeah, horror has sort of been my primary genre forever. Mm. And was that, did you watch horror movies when you were younger? or And how did you get into horror? Yeah, I was introduced pretty young to at least creepy movies, like things that had maybe a slightly horror edge. But then I started... Yeah. You know, like, if my parents were watching a scary movie, I would sneak downstairs and watch from behind the couch, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, got in trouble a few times for that, but, you know, I definitely saw yeah. some stuff that was probably age-inappropriate. But Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In a way, though, I feel like that stuff is best when you're very little, because yeah. it's more effective. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I get... Yeah, true. I look... Um, when I was very young as well, I was introduced to, I think I saw Carrie, you know, with Sissy Spacek. I think I, wa- I watched that when I was like five years old or something. Um, I have older sisters, so they they slapped it on and, and uh, of course, wanting to, to be part of it. I think I watched it. It, it affected me like massively, obviously, when I was a little kid. Um, yeah, but uh, it's funny. Yeah, you, you sometimes do. You do yeah. have that interest. Yeah. Mine was Day of the Triffids, the babysitter put Ooh. it on when it was first on the BBC and uh, (laughs) I was plagued with questions like can Triffids climb up walls and get in windows at night and if if I because I shared a room with my sister my little sister and I was like I wonder should she sleep nearer the bedroom door or nearer the window because like which one would mean (laughs) that she gets the Triffids first I was like obsessed with this fact that I'd go blind because of these Triffids and uh, (laughs) I I, I must have been like nine or something the baby said let's watch this so, uh, yeah, I was a little bit cautious about watching much more horror after that. I'm mm, just sort of I, coming back yeah. to it now. I drew gar- garbage horror when I was a kid, so, <laughs> I mean... We, we basically went back to the um, 80s when I hit, um, like, late primary school. And you're so right about it being more effective. Like, even back then, you know, the first Nightmare on Elm Street was like, whoa! Like, yeah, like so spooky. And it just became so ridiculous. And growing up, it's hard to, like, look at old claw hand any different after you see like the third nightmare on elm street or something like that Mm. yeah they're classics (laughs) yeah um connor have you got like another question there just for oh i suppose actually um oh uh, i might actually um save this uh uh one for later but uh just another question we have for you when it comes to comics are you a are you a reader at the moment are you picking up anything at your local lcs um i actually don't have a local store i've been mm-hmm. i've been basically just reading digital for a while and mm-hmm. then i go and i pick up a trade every now and then uh but yeah. i don't do the like monthly pull anymore um i would but i've, I've only lived in this area for about a year and mm-hmm. we're getting ready we're looking to buy a house so we're going to be moving somewhere and it's like I just didn't want to establish a, a home base just yet yeah. um, but I read I, right now I read a, a ton of Marvel stuff just because I, I since I work for them yeah. I want to know what mm-hmm. the hell they're doing <laughs> it makes um, sense. But, I, yeah. but like most of what kind of appeals to me is, is uh, I guess stuff that isn't superhero genre Like, so I yeah. read a lot of image um, mm-hmm. And Image has had some just great stuff lately. Like in all of the stuff that Brian K. Vaughn does, oh. probably my mm. favorite would be Paper Girls. Um, oh. But uh, I, you know, I, I also really like uh, some of the stuff Mark Miller has been doing, Jupiter's Legacy. But they, that could also be mostly because Quietly is like pretty much my favorite artist. Um, oh, okay. 
But he, yeah, he, uh, sorry, he was from the he was uh, he did the Invisibles. Is that correct as well? He did some of Invisibles, yeah. and he did um, Authority was a really big one for him. Mm-hmm. And then there mm-hmm. was uh, some X Men stuff, and yeah, then he's just. I think my favorite that he did was uh, We Three with Morrison, which is a story about animals being weaponized. Yes, I mean, um, somebody was talking so, about that recently um, on the Serious Issues forum. Really. Yeah. Oh, okay. There was a long. It's really worth checking out. About it. it has oh. some of the most amazing storytelling I've, yeah, I've seen in comics. Really wow. good stuff. Oh, nice. Um, you mentioned just horror. Two things that came into my head when you mentioned Marvel and Image was um, I just want to want to know pretty keen. Did you pick up Immortal Hulk? Oh, the new one. Um, yeah, I have it. And I haven't read it. Okay, cool. Like it, it's in it's in my queue. Okay, it, it's, but I definitely it's, want to. I've heard it's really really fun. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice take. And um, and the other one from Image I was thinking of was Gideon Falls. I'm wondering if you. No, not yet. I, no, I've, okay. Is that Jeff Lemire? Yeah. 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 Like, I'll definitely pick that up in trade. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, cool. Cool, cool. I will say, uh, when it comes to horror, you can't really do better than uh, Junji Ito, the, the Japanese guy who did uh-huh. Uzumaki and uh, oh. Geo and he, he's done a bunch of stuff, but all of, he, he does the best horror comics in the yeah. in the entire media. Is, is it the guy that uh, did the spirals, right? Yeah. Jinji Ito is stuff that, like, I remember the first time just reading it, just how much it sticks with you. Like, it honestly, like, makes your body crawl. Like, so I read with Uzumaki, and I'm not sure if you've read, um, like, like the human-shaped holes in, like, the yeah. faults yeah. in, like, Akabara. Like, just those sort like, the way it really falls upon, like, it's very surreal. It. It's like it's like going through someone else's nightmare. And he yeah. has this amazing ability to tap into just <clears throat> what's inherently creepy. Mm. Is it like I'm very um, uh, ignorant with with these comic series? Though, is it anything like the Japanese horror like movies that we see? Yeah, I would say that those are inspired by a lot of his stuff. He had a, okay. a long running series called Tomi, which is about mm-hmm. kind of a, a cursed Japanese schoolgirl. He keeps appearing in places, and if someone... Oh. I, can, I can't remember exactly, but if someone falls for her, they die, or something like... Or she dies, and keeps yeah. dying and being resurrected. Like, it's real creepy, but it has that that kind of uh, the ring or the grudge vibe to it. Cool. cool. Yeah, I might he's have... definitely majorly influential. Yeah, look, I may have to... Um... I may have to grab a couple of titles, uh, like names of the titles from you, Jason, and I'll chuck them in the yeah. show notes. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, Rebecca? Yes, that's mine. Um, so, obviously, you discovered that you have a talent for art at some point in your life. So when was that, and what led you to make it into a career? Well, I think... Um, I always look at it like this way. I think all kids draw, and then other most kids find other things that they like or, or yeah. other things they're good at and then they just draw less but I think if you just stick with it you get good automatically it's just it's just a it was the one thing that I was always slightly better at than all my other classmates so I was like the artist of the class and mm-hmm. it just kind of self-identified that way so there was never any question that I wanted to do something art related um like, my mother is creative, too. Like, she, she draws nothing professional, but, like, she's always done art around me, so right, it was right. just natural. 
Um, but by the time I was probably in middle school, like uh, sixth, seventh grade, I, I just knew that I wanted to do something art-related. And I think I was probably 13 when I settled on comics. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Wow. No question. That's so good. That's so good. Like, that I is mean, really at that good, age, yeah. Yeah, to like make a, like make a, a, to just a vow know. to... Um, I, I think it's yeah. really cool when someone knows and actually manages to do it. Because a lot of people change their mind a lot. Mm. I didn't. I don't think mm. I decided till I was leaving university what I wanted to be. So, mm, yeah. yeah. Some sometimes when I look at my student loans, I do think I might have made the wrong decision. But yeah, <laughs> you know, that's okay. You know, but I, I think there's a lot to be said about enjoying what your job is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and do you find um, I don't know with the changing medium uh, with. with um, creating art, like and especially doing comics, like I saw um, Todd McFarlane draw something on Facebook, like a you know digitally and all that. Um, do you do you keep uh, the old school way, or, or do you dabble with a bit of both, or how, how does it work? For me, I'm I've been uh, pretty much entirely the old style. Like I draw pencil on paper, then ink on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly that's because like. I think for for me to actually draw on the computer, I would need something like a Syntec, which is the the one where you draw on the screen. Mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of trouble drawing with uh, a pad, but looking at the screen. Yeah, I think be, with mm. practice, I could probably figure it out. But I, it just always felt so unnatural. And mm. those those the ones that you can draw on the screen are super expensive. So I just never did it for that reason. Um, yeah. But I am thinking long term, like because now, like you can can honestly use tablets and get professional quality which wasn't the case even five years ago yeah. so things are changing and I definitely I see the advantage of, advantages of digital because like as it is now after I scan I'll usually go into Photoshop and do mm. little stuff like I'll shift an eye over oh, a okay. millimeter or you know kind of maybe adjust a, a background or something just to, yeah. to try to like tweak it for the for the guy that's inking my stuff now yeah um, so a little bit of digital, but I'm not drawing anything digital yet. Okay. But it also there's the the factor that like if you if you switch over, you can no longer sell your your pages, and you know that's uh, yeah. a whole extra income source. Oh yes, right. So um, like going to conventions and, and or, or online, um, just selling yeah. your yeah yeah, and just also I'm just curious as well because like with the the digital kind of method of drawing, obviously you can zoom right in. Um, how 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 big do you draw your layouts? Because some of your your work is really detailed, and I can imagine you'd have to be drawing it at a larger scale, right? Yeah, I stick to eleven by seventeen, but I, I okay. I've always been very detail oriented, so I just get real close to the page. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> really it's fine. annoying for the anchor. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really great. It's uh, really good to really good to see. Um, yeah, right, right. See, uh, I always thought of it like when I was. When I was less skilled, you know, when I was mm-hmm. starting out, I could throw a lot of detail on a page, and that seemed to satisfy the the, the page. Like people mm-hmm. could look at it and be like, "Well, maybe the figures suck, but look at all this background detail." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can hide behind detail for a while. Now I I feel like I'm kind of be able to use the detail to enhance them. Mm. Yeah. Right. And and layouts as well. Just wondering again. I, again, I'm just thinking of your your Moon Knight run currently as well. Uh, a lot of it's it's great. Very um, 
a lot of it lends itself to like Moon Knight's like fighting movements, like it's very fluid, uh, as well as the shots. Like again, I'm thinking of that shot of the um, of the ship in the in the sea on the way to Isla Ra, and Moon Knight just kind of you see versions of him fighting the the thugs on the ship. Um, with layouts, yeah, how do you? Is that something that you and Max Bemis are very intimately kind of working on together, or how does that work? Um, he he writes in full script. He'll he'll but for something like that, he'll kind of lay out what his idea is, and then say just yeah. go crazy, like make yeah, this yeah. one a, a wild action scene uh, mm. without too much specificity. Um, yeah. which which is nice. Uh, this is actually the first time I've gotten to draw what I would consider an action book. I've had mm-hmm. lots of comics that had a little bit of action here and there, but Moon Knight actually you know punches the hell out of people, so I can. Yeah. I can I really wanted to dig into that and make the action visceral and brutal. And, you know, I, I see so many comics where the fighting is very static. And, yeah. you know, like I feel like if you're going to do superhero stuff, the whole point is to have that kind of explosive dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so I, I, I put a lot of thought into trying to figure out how to try to, like, I guess make the impacts more mm-hmm. damaging, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, as far as layouts and stuff, I, I basically just use uh, printer paper and I draw like a dozen tiny, tiny little thumbnails until something looks appealing to me. I love but, looking uh, at layout stuff. It's so fun. Yeah. Just, it's the kind of stuff that just seems so mysterious to me. I'm like, how do we even... And then somebody will post their um, their layouts to that. I just think it's magic. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, just the, the level of um, like leading the eye and all that. It's really good to... Really good to kind of see. We, we talk about it a lot with... Um, we, we actually mentioned, I think, one of the, the first issues or something um, with, with uh, yourself and, and Max Bemis. Uh, we did talk about the, the fighting scenes and how fluid it was. Uh, and it reminds me of... Uh, I've been reading um, the epic collection of Shang-Chi, like the Masters of Kung Fu, and, and uh, they use that a lot, where you have literally panel by panel by panel where you see the movements occur, and that, that reminded me of Moon Knight. Pretty much uh, your run of midnight. Yeah, it's fun to get a bit, I guess, animated. Uh, mm. You know, I, especially like my last main project was Providence with Alan Moore, which was as clinical and static as you can get. Like, I actually had uh, critiques online that would talk about how things look very stiff, but it's like you're. It's a comic book about a reporter in 1919 walking around and having conversations. You can't really be dynamic. Mm. Um, so it was really nice to just kind of cut loose and show that I, I can I can do fight scenes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it, it's really good to see. Um, Chad, have you got a question there? Yeah, I was kind of wondering. Um, so, Jason, how did you first come across Moon Knight? Like. Did he just, like, drop into a pole list, or, like, how'd that go? I had always been um, aware of the character. Like, if you read any Marvel stuff, you kind of know who all, all the people around are, but I hadn't actually read Moon Knight until the um, the Warren Ellis uh, relaunch. And I was like, oh, this is really cool, but I also was aware that this was a, a departure. So I knew that he was kind of taking a unique, different take on everything, but it kind of established enough that I, I had a, a sense of the character. So when I came over to Marvel and started talking to Axel Alonso um, about a job, he, he suggested Moon Knight, and I was like, well, 
let me read it. And I, I went in and I basically started from the, uh, oh, I forget who the writer was, but it was the, the David Finch stuff where they had oh. relaunched from number one. Yep. And I read everything from there on. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they suggested I could go back further, like the, the Bendis run and, mm-hmm. the, you know, the original stuff. But, like, yep. I figured that was a good chunk of stuff to kind of give me the feel of where he is as a character now. Um, and yeah, it was, he's just, he's a cool character. Like compared to a lot of the Marvel universe, he's got kind of, uh, a uniqueness that, that keeps him separate. Like you're not really going to see him. Like, I guess they, they still team him up with people, but it feels a little odd to me, but like, you're not going to see him guest starring in the X-Men or, you know, I know he's been around the Avengers, but that still feels like a a weird match to Mm, me. Absolutely. (laughs) I basically see him kind of in that realm of like Daredevil and and Elektra and, you know, just fighting at street level. And and I love that. Like that's kind of the corner of Marvel that I feel more comfortable. Yeah. The the good old, uh, the good old street level. I mean, even with, um, with Daredevil, he, he pretty much is kind of like a lone wolf, but he has dabbled in amongst with the Avengers as well. But exactly as you say, Moon Knight, it just, he always seems odd. And when he's in the team as well, it seems that the, a lot of the characters don't know how to deal with him. Um, so he's constantly kind of segregated from everyone else. He's and, not really um, someone you imagine taking orders. Yeah. yeah. Or listening exactly. to other people's plans if he has a better one. Or gets mm. otherwise distracted. Yeah. But I'm also not sure, like, I'm unaware of whether or not his identity is, is just broadly known by everybody. Like, does does the Hulk know that he's a billionaire? <laughs> and, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how much of who he is is known by all these other people? And it, you'd think it would be a factor. Like, if Elon Musk started hanging out with the cops, yeah. they would yeah. be careful yeah. around Elon yeah. Musk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's um, and, and it's a good run that I think that you were introduced to as well. I I think that would probably suit your sensibilities. I mean, considering what you just mentioned about horror and and you know the grim aspect. Charlie Houston was the writer of that two thousand yeah, two thousand and six yeah. uh, release. Um, very much a flawed character, like very much. Like you talk about people with issues. Um, you know, there's Mark at his at lowest ebb. You know. Um, uh, having ripped the face off his arch rival uh, and, yeah. and pretty much crippled. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's, it's good, good storytelling, I think. Um, and that, that, that would have been a great intro to you, I think. Yeah, I kind of felt like um, when we got to our run, there had been a discussion about how the previous run, the, the Jeff Lemire one, had um, kind of resolved a lot of the psychological stuff that was going mm-hmm. on. You know, yeah. he had he'd confronted Khonshu, he had dealt with his other personalities, um, and kind of his, his I guess, support cast. And so we wanted to start him in a place where, you know, he, he's almost happy. You know, like when you see him kind of going into his uh, crap hole apartment, he's, he's not an unhappy guy. He's, he's mm. happy to have this weird little, you know... Uh, whatever you would call that place, just like a horrible little hole in the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and to just do the, the various aspects of his life uh, separately, but but everybody's working together. And, you know, then, of course, you get the Sun King and all the other stuff uh, thrown into the mix. But mm. he, uh, we started out where he's just in a kind of a nice, stable area for him. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. And um, just speaking, with the likes of Sun King and the truth, did you um, did you design 
the looks of both of them and well the sun king it was pretty pretty basic they mm. you know basically he was supposed to be kind of a leaner uh version of mark himself kind of uh okay he's just a wiry dude but he had a bit mm-hmm. of a jesus look like that's yeah, how he right. was described so yeah. like once you have the hair and the beard it, the rest is pretty basic i yeah. did um make the suggestion that we uh oh what, what's his name uh the, the the actor from devil's rejects um bill mosley 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 was a big influence on my like kind of crazy eyed visual for uh the sun king but maybe mm-hmm. a bit younger um right and with the truth, he basically just said a huge guy with tattoos, and then I did a few <laughs> sketches, and yeah. we ended up kind of going towards this, like, uh, Danzig Lobo guy. Yeah, yeah I can say the Lobo, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We wanted tattoos, but I didn't want to go too detailed with them. I wanted to have make them more uh, geometric, just because that's mm. easier to draw, uh, mm. and to give him a, a bit of a unique look. But... Um, yeah. I don't know if he was suppo- if he was designed to be a, a long running villain or if he was basically a one shot who kind of pops back up. But yeah. you know, he ended up being a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that second issue was actually my favorite to draw because it was just it was just a brutal fight in a you know tunnel somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that was good to actually because you actually saw the the violence of Jake Lockley as well, and and you get a sense it was. I thought it was a good introduction because the first issue one eighty eight um, Moon Knight is not pretty much not in it at all um which was a really right. i think a really bold uh, really good way to kick off a series um and so that yeah that second issue where you actually start seeing the dynamics of um of mark's identities into play and yeah there is a lot of a lot of violence in it which is pretty good um you know without sounding too weird <laughs> yeah although i don't think we even come close to uh the the charlie houston uh run <laughs> yeah <laughs> in well, terms that's... of violence yeah, that's true. That that did reach some dark places. <laughs> yeah, um, excellent. Well, look, we have you here on the island anyway, Jason, to have a look at your island books. You know, just say that you are stuck on this beautiful island um, and you had to keep, or well, you had a choice of keeping just a handful of books with you. Um, yeah, you've given us a nice, uh, a nice diverse, broad range of, of, of comics here. Um, I'd like to start off with um let's start off with hard boiled then um so hard boiled um i guess oh, maybe if i can art let ask you um why you chose it and kind of explain in a nutshell what it, what it involves well see that was 1990 i think and um i had just started working at a video game arcade that was mm-hmm. right next door to a comic store so I, I'd gotten to be friends with those people, and they would let me borrow books and then go and read them while I was sitting at the table making change. And I had started reading a lot of just kind of mainstream stuff, and, and that was that was right at the like right towards the beginning of Image and like all those Image creators being huge. So you had like the Jim Lee X Men, the X Force, yeah. all that stuff, and that was exciting. But then like out of nowhere this hard-boiled book shows up and it's oversized which was weird and it had this strange like clean line style that i'd never seen uh outside of like a couple of european books and i i initially was like this is not for me but as soon as i kind of opened it up and looked inside and saw the 
the initial scene where there's, I think it's the second, or, yeah, page two and three, there's a spread mm-hmm. of like a car rushing towards him and he's shooting at the car and there's bodies mm. everywhere. And I was just immediately in love. I was like, oh my God, I want to do this. I want to draw this super detailed, mm. crazy Euro style. And it just, it was just a profound moment where I was like, this is just a different thing. This is a, a whole new look and approach to comics mm. and it just was really inspiring so for like years after that I kind of was pushing my drawing to be more detailed and to kind of integrate just really clean lines and and detailed backgrounds and it, mm. it just had a big influence artistically and like the story it's Frank Miller but it's weird Frank Miller yeah um, <laughs> I think that's a consensus that we got yeah <laughs> yeah there's there's not much con- yeah it you basically are just looking at a spectacle, and I, I think the original argument was that it's it's basically a cyborg's dream or something. Like it's right. making sense of the story is kind of pointless. It's just mm. something really pretty to look at. <laughs> yeah, I mean the art is pretty much uh, it is a standout. I mean Jeff Darrow. I was just speaking to um, the co-host a bit earlier on, and how uh, I, I got introduced to Jeff Darrow through Shaolin Cowboy. Uh, on image and and it was just phenomenal like to the point where you're kind of like spending a lot of time just looking at one panel because of all the detail involved um pretty much got the sense of it here as well but uh, a lot of very cool a a lot of violent images a lot Mm -hmm. of very weird images i'm I'm looking at mermaids (laughs) and large (laughs) you know large people a lot of technology it's just it's a wild ride chainsaw orgies and weird dogs (laughs) like everything about it is just weird and i really appreciate that kind of i guess what the fuckness of it like what are we what what even is this so you know it challenges you to kind of at least think about what you're seeing and yeah it was just Mm. it was a very profound moment in terms of style for me especially but yeah right not, not so much the writing. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because while I was looking at it, um, I could very much see um, the influence on you in the style. So I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but they felt very. Oh similar. yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I love. I'd I'd just, never I love this. Really, I'd never what? seen it before. Yeah. Sorry, Connor. What was that? Oh yeah, I was just about to just talk about Jeff Darrow. I love his style and a lot of ones like it for like how brilliant it is to have, like, incredibly detailed artwork, but it's never unclear. Like, you're never mm. trying to find the clarity between the panels. You're never confused as to what's happening. All oh, this is happening. You're like, that's that, that. It's just... It's just brilliant, and I just love how, like, deep the inks are as well, which is something, mm-hmm. you know, I've appreciated in your um, books as well, uh, Burrows, but, yeah, it's just... I mean, yeah, luckily I've... I've not luckily. I've only smashed out um, uh, Shaolin Cowboy and uh, his art book, uh, Jeff Darrow's, but I definitely want to go back and just find everything because mm. it's just sensational. It, it, would you say a lot of this would go, in, uh, go into stuff like um, Cross or some of your books with uh, Alan Moore or Warren Ellis, some of the earlier stuff? Like, is there a distinct type you try to take from here or is like just kind of this idea of depth and like detail that kind of works way Transmetropolitan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I would say it's definitely like an, a, more of a, an overall influence mixed with a couple of other things. That, like, 
the the one thing that uh, I loved about that work that you you actually touched on is the the fact that you can look at it and you know what it is. It's not like a blob of black ink. Whatever is being mm. drawn is being drawn meticulously, mm. and I think that that lends itself to like you can hand that book to anyone. They don't have to have any history of reading comics and they're going to be able to open it and be know exactly what they're looking at. I think there's, there's times where you have something like Sandman, for example, that if you give that to a layman, they're not going to follow it as cleanly. They're, like oh. it's, it's going to have weird expressive abstractions and maybe they're not going to follow it as, as readily as someone who reads comics a lot. Um, but yeah, like I just have always felt that I wanted my stuff to be clean, and that the storytelling be be as clear as possible. I want people who don't read comics to be able to pick up something I do and be able to follow it very easily. And I would say stylistically, uh, Jeff Darrow was a big influence, and then um, Katsuhiro Otomo, who did Akira, was also mm-hmm. a huge influence. And I, there's a he's also extremely detailed, mm. and they both kind of melded together. I, and I, I basically kind of fell into like in a, into a camp in my head at least of being kind of a mixture of that European and Japanese style mm. more so than like an American uh, mainstream artist and that's kind of given me like that opportunity to work with people who want to do more of an alternative comics thing mm-hmm. yeah it's good that you touch upon the um, the Japanese aspect of it. I just reminded of um, when Akira, the animated movie, first came out and how groundbreaking that was and the um, amount of detail in that. I mean, back in the day, I haven't watched it in ages, um, so I can't um, say how it's held up now. But, um, yeah, yeah, all that technology. I'm just saying here, Jeff Darrow um, is just meticulous with all the technology. Like, there must be a massive amount of imagination involved in all these cybernetic and cyborg things. Yeah, he did the um, the concept art for the, the Matrix movie. If you ever look oh, at his wow. drawing, if yeah. you look at his artwork specifically for that, it will blow your mind. Wow. It's, I mean, it looks better than it does in the movies. It's it's amazing. <laughs> his, his tech stuff is untouchable. Yeah, oh, fantastic. Um yeah, right. Well, so, I mean, this is one of your books, Hardboiled, much uh, much to do with, with the art than, uh, than anything. And, and as you said, a, a, a massive influence um, for you earlier on. Uh, I want to change it up a little bit now and look at one of your other books here, Jason. Um, G.I. Joe, Silent Interlude. Now, uh, I, I read this last out of, out of the list that you gave me, and it was really funny because it was... <laughs> I kind of burned through it really, really quickly. I, I didn't oh, yeah. know the, yeah, I didn't know the premise at all. Um, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to get ready to, to read GI Joe. And it's like, whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> that, that was it. Uh, take us through this one, Jason. Um, why did you like this? And uh, actually, set the scene for the premise for this issue because I don't know many of the characters in this. Yes. Um, well, as I mentioned before, GI Joe was just a big deal at that time in the '80s, and like. I had seen other G.I. Joe comics that my friends were into, and uh, when I got that one, someone had loaned it to me and said, you, you know, this is amazing, you have to check it out. Um, the idea that it was an entirely wordless comic blew my mind and mm. had this, again, like a, a big effect on me, just making me realize uh, 
the the importance of visual storytelling. Yeah. It had never been apparent to me prior to that. Like there's words and there's pictures and they just work together. But then you take the words out and all of a sudden it, it, it was important to, to figure out panel to panel transitions and like yeah. the overall page effects and like I never thought about that before. Mm. So it's all basic stuff if you're drawing comics, but it was like that particular issue showed me um, that particular area of importance and but like story wise um so you have you have uh gi joe and cobra cobra has storm shadow they're like ninja assassin Mm -hmm. and gi joe had snake eyes but there's never there's never really any talk about who snake eyes is he's just this commando who wears a, a mask and never talks okay um and inside that story i think it's Storm Shadow captures Scarlet, who's basically Snake Eyes's uh, an apprentice. Maybe I don't know. They they work closely mm-hmm. together. Yeah. Um, so Snake Eyes goes to the Cobra base to basically free her. Um, and at the end of that, there's a, a moment where you you realize that both Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes have the same tattoo, which means they're the same kind of clan of ninja. And after that, they got into, like, a lot more of the origin stuff, and that was probably, like, the best run of that entire series was when they they went into the backstory of those particular characters. You know, like I said, I was super into ninjas, so this was, like, right in my sweet zone. (laughs) But it was was amazing. Yeah. Who's the um, the Doctor Doom-esque kind of villain I see? Oh, that's uh, Destro. He's the arms dealer for Cobra. Uh, okay. um, in yeah, you have you have Cobra Commander who wears like the hood. He's mm-hmm. like the main bad guy, and then Destro's like the the second in command. Oh, or, okay. You know, somehow connected. It's always been a bit vague. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's amazing. The first thing that I um, got off this. Uh, so a few of us collect uh, Valiant comics. I'm not sure if you've um, yeah. dabbled in Valiant. Yeah. Uh, and not long ago. Uh, they had a Ninjak issue which was totally silent as well, um, which I thought was fantastic um, because I hadn't seen it before. But then looking at this, which was released, you know, in the 80s sometime, I mean, obviously it's not a, an, you know, a, a light bulb mo- moment. Um, I'm sure they would have done it before, but it was just really refreshing to see. Um, and I can understand now, like, yourself, Jason, becoming like an artist and well, and this becoming a big influence uh, it really does draw you into yeah the layouts and and how to um, tell a story through pictures. So um, it, it's kind of starting to make sense now for me why you picked it as well. Apart yeah, from um, apart from your GI Joe um, <laughs> fandom, of course, as well. Yeah, and I mean it's a fun issue. GI Joe itself, like that series, especially in that little period there when they they had like the uh, the origin stuff, is is a fun read. But it was definitely mm. more of a like a technical thing for me. I just mm. absolutely loved just the idea of doing a silent comic blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, if if you could do a silent comic, is was there any particular character that you would want to do or, or story? Hmm. <laughs> I I would think that uh, doing something with Daredevil in the hand would lend yeah. itself to that. I mean, I granted, believe. that's just getting back into ninjas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's nothing but, uh, bad with ninjas. <laughs> exactly. Um, Have you read Ninja? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Don't they usually trundle around? Um, yeah, Jason, have you read Ninjak? 
by, by Valiant? Not the new stuff. I, I read okay. a, a bunch of the older uh, Valiant stuff. I'm, it's just, there's a lot of it. It's it's hard to, yeah. to kind of dig back into it, but I know I've, I've got friends who are obsessed with the whole Valiant universe, and it's like their favorite thing now. Oh, yeah. So I, I eventually want to get into it. Oh, yeah. Um, it's but a- I remember there was actually a, an, a standalone issue of Ninjak drawn by Joe Casada. That mm. was one of the, the best drawn books I'd ever seen. Definitely yeah. worth looking up. Yeah, Casada's oh, he's a great artist. Uh, he did a lot of great um, Daredevil stuff as well. But um, yeah. so that that was the older stuff. Yeah, I mean, Jason, knowing that now that you really love ninjas, Ninjak is is fantastic. And anything 2012 onwards post is um, is really worth checking out. Uh, yeah. And you don't really need to know too much about what happens around the Valiant universe. But um, yeah, I reckon that you'd probably dig it. Like, yeah, I read it. Action. I read it. To, I think a lot of most of us read just the 2012 onwards stuff. Mm. And the Matt Kent Ninjak run is actually. Fairly yeah, standalone, yeah. as well as issue twenty-two actually yeah. being the yeah. silent one. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So this is uh, this was a GI Joe, um, fantastic. Actually, so we probably should give a shout out to the credits as well. Um, so, have you got your issue handy there, Jason? I don't. Oh, I don't. Okay, no worries. Um, so I've got here. So it's, it's called Silent Interlude. Um, story and breakdowns by Larry. Hammer, um, Steve, oh, Leo Loha uh, finishes, <laughs> George Russos colouring, Denny O'Neill editor, and Jim Shooter, the editor-in-chief. So uh, this was in 1984, released March 1984. Um, so Silent Interlude, yeah, a very um, very wordless issue. <laughs> uh, I guess working on to that um, with the... It's not ninja. I always think it, G.I. Joe, I always think that's, that is military, right? But we're dealing with ninjas here. Um, yeah, like, it's it's kind of a fantasy stuff. Like, it's it's a squad of, of special forces people from all over the, the armed services. That, but they're like, like, there's a Native American guy who has a pet eagle who attacks people. And, you yeah. know, there's a, a guy who's a firefighter special forces man. I don't know what he's supposed to do. But, like, there's just... <laughs> It's, it's, you know, action figure topia. It's just yeah. the weirdest ideas they could come up with that are vaguely military-esque. Yeah, right, right. Cool. Well, actually, um, we'll just take a quick short break before we get on to your uh, last three books, Jason. Cool. Hi, this is Dave. And I'm Stu, and we're from the Signal of Doom. We're proud members of the Collective, and you're listening to Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. <laughs> Okay, so that was from The Collective. Let's see, and Jason, so the next book on the chopping block here is uh, Sergeant Rock, Sergeant on a String. (laughs) Want to talk about this one? Now, that's one of those books that um, I got at the grocery store for not causing trouble. Um, (laughs) And, like, I had picked up a, a variety of these DC war books like Sergeant Rock and All Out War and stuff. I don't. I, I guess I was just kind of obsessed with you know army men and, and those kinds of stories. And 
it was mostly just to look at the art. I wasn't really reading a whole lot back then. Um, I was still very young. But, like, this one particular issue, I've never forgotten. Um, mm. It has two stories in it, as I recall. Mm-hmm. The The first story is kind of like Sergeant Rock loses his mind, and his mm. squad has to get him through enemy territory, so he's all roped up. And I think by the end of it, he's back to killing Germans, and, you know, everybody's happy. Uh, but the backup story <laughs> was this crazy horror story, like just mm. that blew my mind. It, it's uh, it's by Steve Bissett, who also did a lot of the uh, the Alan Moore Swamp Thing stuff. So he, he's really known for that kind. Of, I'm sure he also did a ton of stuff in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's mostly what I know him from is is this, and then you know Swamp Thing. But it's a it's a story of a of a GI who basically finds a crab and then starts to he gets separated and starts to lose his mind and then he finds a giant hermit crab yeah. that has used a, an old German tank as a shell and just the insanity of it and like the the, the craziness of the, of the way it was drawn like everything about it really creeped me out as a kid and i loved creepy stuff so yeah it was yeah. that kind of influence uh where it was probably the first time i'd ever seen any comics that weren't either you know the the gi joe or not GI, uh, the, the sergeant rock stuff that i was used to mm-hmm. and you know the the multicolor, you know superman spider-man kind of stuff mm. i'd never seen anything horrific at this point and it just blew me away and it, it yeah. kind of showed me the uh I guess the, the you could do anything in this this medium. You could you could tell any kind of story, and it was the first time that I was ever actually aware of that. Yeah. Um, but it's you know some sometimes you find a book when you're like six years old, and it it just you never forget it. And this yeah. was that one for me. I, I can imagine it. It has a real creep factor to it. Um, it just slowly. Like as you mentioned, it starts off with him finding a crab, and at the end, it's that giant crab in the um, the, the gun turret uh, tank thing. Um, but in the lead up to that as well, as the as the soldiers kind of walk through that beach and they slowly see like you know corpses, and they slowly see more and more crabs. Um, it has a it's a really freaky element to it, um, and yeah, rightly so. It is a very very much a horror driven thing. Um, so you read? Have you? Had you read many Sergeant Rock issues? Is this really out of the norm as well, this backup story, or did they do something like this from time to time? I would say I, I probably owned, you know, maybe 10 or 15 random books, you know, non-sequential, and almost all of the ones I had, it was basically one story, and it was the usual, like, Sergeant Rock and his squad go mm. into you know some sort of town and the Nazis kill the new kid and then yeah. he runs out into a suicidal craze and and kills all the Nazis and yay happy ending yeah and you know it was just kind of rinse and repeat every yeah. every issue that I had nothing quite like this but that's not to say that it didn't happen just not in the ones I had yeah it's just interesting like to know that even if it like how this came about as a backup story. Um, you, you know what they were thinking with Sergeant Rock, whether to you know whether it was an opportunity to um, get beset on it and and just give him free reign to do whatever he wanted, and um, you know it's tentatively connected to you know to, to war and the army, right? I mean there are soldiers, yeah. but it could easily be a group of people, you know, on on a deserted island or um, or something like that. Um, 
but yeah, no, it's, it's a very interesting take. The art, the artwork is really cool as well. Um, I thought that was. Um, I've got like a faded version here, but it's um, very scratchy. Um, yeah. Very scratchy artwork. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. There's there's not much more really to say to say of it. Um, Rebecca, do you? I thought it was really interesting because I haven't had a lot of um, exposure to it. I guess I, I was like the polar opposite. I, anything about war and army stuff was not the stuff that appealed to me in mm. a ridiculously uh, sort of gender-conforming kind of way. Um, my cousins, I, I did play a lot with Action Man, though. I have to say, like, I, I, I got rid of all the girly toys and stole my cousins Action Man and Bionic Man, and they were kind of my thing, but I... I, I think the com- we we got a really odd selection of comics in British uh, newsagents because I had a similar thing. Uh, instead of my my grandmother doing it, instead of pocket money each week, we were taken into the newsagent and pick a comic each. So we just ended up with a lot of like whatever random Marvel stuff or DC stuff they sent us, and we got it all out of sequence, and you never had any continuity. You just got whatever there was. Um, and then there were, in a separate little corner, which was clearly meant in the for boys sections it would have been at the time, was like <laughs> Commando and um, Roy of the Rovers and all the very sort of British stuff. So I thought it was really interesting to actually like read one of these, like, um, I, it's just something I just wouldn't have picked up. And I, I just genuinely really enjoyed reading it. I thought it was good. And, and if anything, it would make me try go and dip in. I, I used to work in, I, I'm a trained librarian. I worked in the library, and there was one point we were getting rid of this massive pile of Commando comics that somebody had donated, and I, I yeah. couldn't bring myself to throw them out, even though it was like completely <laughs> not the kind of thing I'd read. So I just brought them home, this sort of massive pile of Commando comics, oh, left them in sweet. the corner and thought, well, one of my friends will want them, but I, they're still there, so I actually <laughs> might sort of read them at some point now. Um, yeah. And it is quite a nice collection, because it's just this, they're, they're, they're little. Uh, they're sort of like A5 size. So yeah. it's quite a dinky little collection. So I, it, it was, it was, it was a true pleasure to read it. Is what I'm yeah. saying. So. Yeah, it, it, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, just, it is a surprise for me as well, Jason. I, I don't read too many um, books related to, you know, to the military and the army and stuff. Um, without giving too much away as well, there is a uh, one, one loony um, in an upcoming episode for another Isle of Ra, um, and we go through a book from the Nam, which is um, uh, uh. from Marvel. Uh, had you read any of that as well, Jason? Or? Yeah, that one was almost on my list. Um, ah. But that one, uh, the Michael Golden artwork in that is some of the, the best stuff Marvel ever published. It's beautiful. Yeah, um, right. But brutal. <laughs> you know? It is. It, but the, the, but I'm, the interesting thing about these, these World War II books is there is a lot of kind of repetitive sameness of like, you know, oh, war is hell, and, but let's kill mm. the bad guys. And, and you know, I, it's hard for me to imagine that there was a, an ongoing market for this stuff, especially yeah. when you think about it in today's market. Like, how could you do this kind of thing with the Afghanistan war? It just yeah. wouldn't work. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's grueling as well. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. I mean, recently, uh, Garth Ennis released uh, Punisher Platoon, I think, um, in at Marvel. I'm not sure if you've read that, Jason, as well, but um, that's very kind of uh, military-centric. Like, even the jargon... Um, that they use with each other uh, seems very accurate. You know, um, I think Garth Ennis is really into into his military stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. But even that even that was a limited issue, uh, a limited series. You know, I think it was like only about six issues. 
Um, so yeah, same. I, I wonder as well how it. Um, but the Nam, the likes of the Nam and um, uh, Semperfy, is that is that it? That that actually lasted a, a long run. So yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, yeah. This is uh, Connor. Any any thoughts on on this Sergeant Rock issue? Yeah, I was just about to say. Yeah, I, I totally wrote these off as a kid. I like hated the idea of reading a war comic. Oh, this seems so like bland and boring, you know. Real like colours were my thing um back then. So like, you know, superheroes and all that, not war. But picking up this one, I was surprising how much like how much like actual emotion and pathos there was in it. Like there was like I, I was just really kind of expecting like big commando killing action, but there, there was like you know, a seriously decent man, especially in like this Sergeant on the string or whatever that first story was, you know, that was surprisingly mm-hmm. affecting. And, um, but I lo- like that last story was just so cool. I love how terrifying it was. I love that repeating pattern of like the discovery and the horror. Like it was just such like good horror tropes applied to hermit crabs and, you yeah. know, inside a wall. Like it was so ridiculous, but so well done. And yeah, I just, you know, just really loved that art. It, um, you know, swamp uh, the swamp thing alumni with the two of them and uh, Tatiana Wood on Oz as well. Oh, mm-hmm. fantastic! Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think crabs and cephalopods for me are quite fascinating, fascinating creatures. They're so otherworldly, aren't they? And um, you got those crab, the hermit crabs with the beady eyes. Um, they are just a little creepy. Um, uh, Chad, any 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 last things on Sergeant Rock? Um, actually, yeah, I was kind of wondering, it's like, with this kind of sudden realization, descent into madness type thing, do you think, looking at this in your formative years, this might have helped contribute towards the uh, Lovecraftian insanity that you later get to uh, really, you know, plunge into? Yeah, I mean, I was flipping back through this one I, it, it occurs to me that this is very Lovecraftian mm. <laughs> uh, just that the impending madness and nobody else sees what he sees and yeah the the terror from the deep kind of thing um, I, d- I wasn't really aware of Lovecraft himself uh, or his writing until I think I was probably 12 or 13 mm. and I picked up a book of short stories and his was like the last one in the book and it had such a, like a an old fashioned sound to it, for lack of a better term, that it, it really left an impression. It was it was like something had been had come from the past, and mm. I got kind of obsessed with him after that. Um, but yeah, it was I, I, this kind of thing might have actually been one of the first uh, existential horror stories that actually had kind of had an effect on me. Because I definitely never forgot it, like, ever. <laughs> it's <laughs> well, just you, such a weird issue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you, you looked it up on Wiki as well, online, to um, <laughs> um, to, to kind of um, reignite with it. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, cool, all right. Well, I was going to ask, actually, Jason, as well, he's talking about Lovecraft, and... I don't know how much you can give away or not and stuff, but they did release the, the covers to um, a lot of the further solicitations of, of Moon Knight. And, um, and there seems to be a... Um, well, there has been earlier on as well a Cthulhu-like um, creature that haunts 
Mark's mind. Um, is that something that, I guess, between yourself and Max Bemis had discussed, or is it something that you'd propose? No, that that the there's the the point um, in the first run where he, uh, I think he, Conchu's uh, trying to describe uh, the 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 concept of the, I guess, horror god. Um, mm-hmm. I forget exactly what the context was at this point, but but yeah, where we have the kind of like the shot of Cthulhu inside his mind, and mm-hmm. I think Jake's like, we don't have time for this crap. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the solicitation for is, is uh, one ninety nine. Yes, I think that has yep. the, the Lovecraft cover. I'm not on that issue. I have no oh. idea what that one is going to be. Like I, I just finished one ninety eight. Yes, and it is nothing connected to that. Oh, <laughs> so, right. Which has yeah, been a great. It's, it's been a great thing for Moon Knight. Actually, this run. There've been um, some comments on it. There's a, a podcast of comics um, called Serious Issues that. A lot of us are fans of, and they um, they actually reviewed uh, the latest issue. And one of the comments made was um, how great and how kind of um, spontaneous um, this run of, of Moon Knight seems to be. Like the way that Max Bemis is is taking it on board, and and I think he mentioned it in an interview how um, he has got no kind of like game plan, and it seems very. Um, I like it. I like the fact that you get a two-parter in between, like a six-parter, and it seems then, I think, Jason, that you'd have a... It's another two-parter, right? 197, 198? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 98 ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. I assume it continues into 99, but maybe not. It okay. might just be one of those things where there were it's resolved off-panel, because that yeah. can very easily happen. Um, Ooh, there's a bit of a hot Oh, and I want to spoil stuff, but I can't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, no. Bit of a scoop. <laughs> no, oh, yeah, yeah. We, we are hankering for it. So, um, yeah, we just can't wait to, to, to read it. But, um, okay, well, I think we might then move on to... We have two, mo- two more um, of your books. Uh, and actually, both of them, I'd really like to talk, uh, get really, really into it. Um, the next one is Daredevil 208. Uh, in the deadliest night of my life, uh, and this is by Harlan Ellison and Arthur Byron Cover. Uh, and Jason, would you be able to maybe give us a, a rundown on this issue and, and why you picked it? Uh, I haven't had a chance to go back and reread it. I just remember it from from when I was younger. Um, yeah. But Daredevil, Daredevil was really big for me. Like uh, all my friends had their own collections of books so you know i had a friend that collected x-men i had a friend who collected avengers and Mm. they had these big runs and i I wanted to have my own thing so Mm. that we could kind of trade to read each other's books and i i kind of settled on daredevil Mm. and the the miller run in the 80s was phenomenal Mm. and so when he left the book i think 191 was his last issue before coming back later to do born again uh the book was in a in a kind of a weird transition state where like the the issues were okay but they had lost some of that momentum that they'd had and then this random issue came out uh, issue two oh eight that was a, a kind of a one shot story no mm. before or after that is uh, Daredevil basically being trapped in this mansion. Um, somewhere in the Bronx, and I don't know if this is a real place, but it reminds me, I think, of the Winchester Mansion. Mm-hmm. That was uh, an actual place where a, a kind of a crazy old rich woman 
kept having stuff built onto it, like staircases to nowhere, oh, yeah. doors that would open into free falls, and mm-hmm. you know, in this particular house, it's designed with all sorts of traps, and like the whole house is basically trying to kill it the whole time, yeah. and it just had this really, like, I don't know that I'd ever read anything quite like it, where it was it was superhero, but it was like. Again, it was horror, and mm, right. you know the, the fact that it was self-contained really kind of appealed to me. But it's a really tight twenty or twenty-two pages, uh, you know, and it's real solid. You, especially when you look at today's kind of uh, decompressed storytelling, there's mm. just a lot of meat in a really small area there. There is, isn't and, it? And I, again, I can't quite recall plot stuff i just remember oh. being fascinated by this book and flipping through it over and over yeah. and over oh well look i i just read this um this morning uh, just a couple of hours but and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it actually this was um exactly as you say it was so self-contained um it had me guessing um who the hell was behind this sort of thing daredevil mentions um arcade or um who's the other one the jester uh, he doesn't know, and and reading through this and and not having not read this issue as well, I was kind of thinking, what the hell is going on? But um, basically, so Daredevil, uh, his attention is drawn towards a little girl who um, kind of lures him towards this mansion, um, and he wonders that you know she's got uh, he, he can't really lock onto her heartbeat. I think um, her, her beating is a bit fuzzy, but anyway, so she leads him in and. Um, Almost like a cartoon, a steel door just slams down and traps him in, uh, and then it kind of starts from there. And then he actually <laughs> he actually picks up the girl and he, he goes, "What's going on?" And he hears something funny, so he hurls her away, <laughs> and uh, and she she explodes into a million bits, and so she was like a bomb, um, which I found what that's a what a weird way to start an issue, you, you know. Um, so in that haze, he just goes through a series of. Uh, and it was really fun because each little room had its own little thing. So, um, you know, he goes through the first one and there are like little darts which have, um, like, hallucinogens in them or something. Um, he gets grazed by one. He starts hallucinating. He goes to three, to free fall. He falls down into what looks like a tropical room um, and he's stuck in quicksand. So he starts to, he starts doing um, breaststroke uh, in, the, um, in the quicksand to get out of it. Uh, but that's not that's not it. He doesn't end there. He falls into this spiked um, spiked surface. Uh, it just goes on and on, and it's really it was really good. It was actually really, really riveting stuff. Um, uh, Rebecca, did you have a chance at looking at this? Yeah, I did. I thought it was amazing. Mm, I really it was, it was so claustrophobic and crazy, was, yeah. and like uh, reading Cube and you know the um, Iron Fist when he has his own thing of traps to go through right in the beginning mm. oh, you'll be a nerd about iron fist there. there's an iron <laughs> fist sequence that doesn't last an entire comic but is similar traps <laughs> yeah. set to kill him um when he's trying to get to find out who killed his uh to do his revenge thing right at the beginning um but i love that it lasted the whole I, I was i was just like so in love with it being harlan ellison and mm. like just the writing and it just it, the timing of reading a harlan ellison comic this week was pretty on you know it was just like and and just being able to really really enjoy it i it was i think it was the claustrophobia it was uh matt like sort of scolding himself for not being able to like think through the problem knowing Mm. he was slightly drunk just so used to him reacting to everything quickly and and leaping to conclusions and getting it right and he's just so lost 
yeah. then and it just ended up being one that you would have no way of working out yourself. So yeah. it was kind of nice because it wasn't like, oh, we're miles ahead of the hero. Like we know mm. where it's going. Like oh, it's Kingpin, or oh, no. it, you know, like you know, oh, it's Arcade. Which nowadays it would almost certainly be Arcade, um, yeah. but like <laughs> or something on Mojo World. Um, but uh, yeah, just like it, it, it was, it was actually a really, really good one shot mm. because you could I, come I, I, into I, it knowing absolutely nothing. Matt explains what all his powers usually are. You know, yeah. like. And, and yeah, there's these crazy bits with that kid, and like just yeah. What, and then you know, like watching him just gets more and more beat down, just yeah. by near misses. Like he's not yeah. hit straight on, but he's just each time it like wears him down more and more till he ends up with this kind of ripped costume. You know how much we all love ripped costumes. Ripped <laughs> costumes, bleeding, yeah. turning up at Natasha's doorstep. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the 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 big tension here, and the, the great thing that Ellison does here is. Uh, he emphasises how, number one, Daredevil's already buggered like, when he sees the girl <laughs> at the beginning. So he's already tired, yeah. and uh, look, he, he can't fly, or he, he doesn't have super strength or anything, but it's, uh, the tension is built because he's, he's coming across these booby traps, and he's, you know he's tired, and he says to himself, come on, I've got to push myself, I've got to push myself. Um, and it, yeah, it just gives him that, that level of vulnerability in, in the issue, which makes it really, uh, really fun to watch. Yeah, I've always been kind of obsessed with, uh, like, Carnival Dark Rides and, like, mm-hmm. you know, the Haunted House and stuff like that. And so this, to me, had the kind of the, the feel of going into one of those uh, fun houses and being trapped. Yeah. And, you know, when you're a kid, you, you think that you're going to die. Like, this is <laughs> all real. And yeah. so I... for him, it really was. But <laughs> Yeah. I'll, I will now, I think, I think I've told Connor this before, but I will tell you my fun house story. When I was a kid, my mum died when I was quite young, so my dad was looking mm-hmm. after us. We go to the, the fun fair, and I see fun house, and I did not realise that this did not mean <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. So in we go, me and my older sister, and she's, like, running through it, having a whale of a time. I got to the bit where the floors move, and apparently just curled into a ball and started crying Aww. until my, my dad my dad had to go through it backwards to come and get me so Aww. I yeah um, like that it's totally Mike to me fun houses are the extreme of horror apparently yeah. um, I've been in them since and got over it but um, it was always kind yeah. of one of those fun stories of like I read fun house and thought this will be great <laughs> yeah <laughs> came out a terrified wreck there were no um, black mambas or taipans or tiger snakes in that funhouse, Rebecca. I like. I did like that he could. I did like that he could like uh, work out every single breed of snake that was in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> just listens to breathing at the um, zoo. But yeah, it was time. certainly fun, and I just love the variety of these booby traps as well. Um, yeah, Connor, did you? What, what did you think of this? Ah, uh, it was it was incredible. Um, I love actually. Um, I didn't realize it was Harlan uh, Ellison until you guys spoke about. It. I didn't even know he did comics. You know, I'm a I'm a big fan of his work, and what he's achieved the movies and video games. So looking at a comic, it's like whoa, awesome. And I mean, someone who kind of went back through like Marvel a lot, thanks to Marvel Unlimited. One of the things that really draws on my one of my favorite things in superheroes is just having the hero get the shit beaten out of them. I love them when they're like <laughs> down on the ground, just so you know, destroyed and just, like, there's just, every step is, like, another odyssey, and it's just, I just love it. And this one was so great, because it not only drew on that, but it really drew on his powers. There was a lot of cool visual stuff with it as well. Yeah. Um, Just so much happening. I love 
I love all the traps. I love how it worked with Daredevil. I love how it drew on him as a person. You know, really helped move it. I think the profiles in here, actually, like, as you see, like, there's some really iconic poses here with him with his, as his suit gets more ripped. And he has to, like, throw off the gloves and stuff. Yeah, it's just fantastic. And it actually, um, when I first started reading this, it actually kind of drew on a lot with, um, you know, there is really that big period after Frank Miller leaves. It's kind of forgettable with Daredevil. Like, it's mm -hmm. such a new direction, but no one really knew what to do. And even then, I'd only really clung on to the and the Sensi stuff after this, but this mm -hmm. is really good, like, obviously. And it, it really, it drew it into, like, one of the first, the first villain of, like, the first Frank Miller Daredevil issue as well. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it's just, oh, I love yeah. it. Yeah, no, it was, it was really good. It, ha it has a bit also, Jason, a bit of bit of the ninja in there with um, with Daredevil um, meditating to try and kind of heal himself a little bit. He's got the om happening. Yeah. Uh, there's a little yeah. panel there. Um, Chad, any any uh, any thoughts this, on this comic? I really like the entire idea of like one of the first things that happens to him is he gets hit with the uh, dart that makes him start hallucinating. Mm. It makes me wonder, like, exactly how much of the traps are real, how much is fabricated, ah, and yeah. how much of his senses are just betraying him. Because True. that's one of his whole things, that he has all these hyper-home senses. Yeah. Well, in this case, I think it might have actually been his weakness. Because he didn't have eyesight, just that's obvious. Yeah. But at the same time, he's supposed to be able to hear far into the distance. That's one thing that they really take advantage of. Because mm -hmm. he can hear into the distance, but, you know, with his increasing uh, depreciation in that, or maybe it's just going wonky, it leads him astray over and over again. Yeah. So yeah. they take his strength and just stab him in the back with it. Mm. Yeah, no, good point. It, it does keep him vulnerable. Um and then we see later on um, at the end, the, the reveal at the end is um, is the mother of a, a small-time villain, I guess, called Deathstalker, which um, which Daredevil had encountered uh, previously. Uh, it seems to be in Daredevil 158. Uh, he he um, passed through a tombstone and died instantly. And so the mum, who obviously must be quite wealthy, she set up this whole thing to trap and to kill daredevil um but he even manages to finally escape um and the whole place just goes uh goes up in flames when it self-destructs um so yeah uh not not without you know a lasting effect um i don't know if you remember jason but towards the very end he's on top of the fence um and he he almost gets impaled as they shoot out towards right. him as well yeah <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, and this I feel like this is really like my wheelhouse of superhero type stories where mm -hmm. there's a definite horror influence. You know, the, the the main character could potentially die. Like it's not just you know we have to power up and beat up the bad guy. Like mm -hmm. there's like a real mystery to it. Like I love this stuff. Like that's kind of the the kind of superhero stuff that I'm mostly drawn to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think um, it's safe to say that. Um, pretty much all of us with our inclinations towards the street level heroes we do like that as well i mean like obviously we read other things as well but um the good things about heroes like daredevil is that yeah they are closer to being human more than anything else you know you're not going to get this with the hulk he's just going to bash through it all <laughs> so yeah. um 
Yeah, and uh, a little nod here towards um, his relationship with Black Widow at the end as well, which is a which is an on again off again thing. Um, but yeah, a, a very good a very good issue, and it ends on a, a little bit of a um, a little bit of a weird note there with uh, two looks like clones of the girl at the very beginning, um, just with Matt Murdock in the courtroom as he um, does mm. his lawyer things. Yeah. So again, just hanging up in the air there. I don't know whether they return to it or not, but um, well, it's redundant now. The mansion's just blown up. So um, yeah, but uh, yeah, very cool. Face front, true believers, and riddle me this: Do you enjoy comics? Great. Well, you're already halfway there. Join me, and together we can rule the galaxy as listener and producer. My new weekly, the bi-weekly show, deals with the heroes that don't get enough credit. Street-level heroes like Daredevil, Moon Knight, Spider-Man, and the like. With a strong emphasis on stories that don't get quite enough credit either. Or perhaps are just plain goofy. With the occasional look into jumping on points for new readers who might be interested. I'm Ethan Ainsworth, and this is Knights, a Marvel podcast. Check me out on Podbean and iTunes. Fun isn't something one considers when balancing the universe. But this podcast... (laughs) Does put a smile on my face. Um, okay, well, Jason, I think we have one more to look at here. And uh, this is cool. Uh, look, from the outset, can I just say, um, when you mentioned this one, and our, the final book that Jason has, um, or the final arc, actually, that Jason has cited for his Isla Ra book, is, uh, is Grendel, um, Devil, Devil and Death, Devils and Death. Um, and I must say, Jason, when I read this, reread this, I remember this. I actually have these issues as well somewhere in my folks' place. Um, I remember reading this ages, ages ago and, and thinking this was a great story as well. I was, um, uh, for those that don't know, or maybe, maybe you can explain, Jason, uh, the whole Grendel premise for people that don't know Grendel. Okay, so, uh, Grendel started in the 80s in the uh, alternative comic scene. It's uh, one of the creations of Matt Wagner, who also did a book called Mage. And they were really big in the kind of like early black and white explosion for indie books. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really liked both of those. I was into the Grendel book, which uh, trying to think of how you would describe him. I I guess he's kind of a superhero, kind of an assassin, again, Mm. kind of a ninja. (laughs) Yeah. but it's it's basically uh, like a really rich guy who, who dresses up in his his Grendel outfit and has various uh, adventures and, and kills a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but the the Grendel kind of universe was expanded later on um, by Matt Wagner, who basically uh, kind of projected the storylines into the future where. Uh, the Grendel became almost uh, a godlike figure. So you had these uh, kind of post-apocalyptic tribes of people who were, were different tribes of different types of Grendels. They did a book called War Child that was really mm. amazing. Yeah. Um, and Grendel Tales was kind of like an offshoot of that universe where people would just tell different stories in this pseudo-apocalyptic future. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you had these roving bands, of, almost like Mad Max-style uh, warrior clans. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a bit complicated, but if, 
it's pretty like if you if you pick up War Child, it's it's a perfect complement to this book. And yeah. like the Grendel Tales series had different arcs with different creators coming in and telling different stories. And the Devils and Deaths one was was originally uh, a two issue arc, and then a sequel that was done later that was four issues. So the trade has all six issues. Mm. Um, and there was a right around the I want to say late nineties or mid nineties. There was an influx into the industry of a, of a group of uh, Croatian creators, uh, which was like Darko Makan, uh, Edwin Bjukovic, who, who are the two who did this series. There's mm-hmm. Goran Suzuka, Goran Parlov, who uh, people might know from doing a lot of Punisher stuff. Yes. Uh, Esed Ribic. Like, there's a, just a bunch of people who kind of came into the industry who, were, who had already been a part of the European scene and were quite skilled already. Mm-hmm. And kind of came over here and, and did some of some some various stuff at various levels of popularity but this particular arc uh just came out of nowhere for me and just blew me away like it's a perfect tragic story mm. um i don't want to spoil it too much but it, it's it's worth reading for anybody who loves comics but again for me the the main thing was um the, the storytelling and the art. Like, yeah. Edwin Bukovic is an amazing artist who, who died tragically of yeah. a brain tumor in 99, I think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you know, I think I'm still feeling that because, like, I have every piece of art that he did pretty much in wow. a collection now. And it's like, I flip through them all the time and I'm always like, I want to get to this level. <laughs> <laughs> like, his storytelling is second to none. He did a book for DC uh, called... Was a human target, something okay. like that. Right. Um, that is, it's it's one of the best things DC published. Um, but yeah, all of his stuff is amazing. This particular storyline uh, is just like the tragic tale of two brothers in one of these Grendel clans, and kind of how things just kind of go wrong for them. And yeah. it's like a perfect post-apocalyptic story. Um, Anyone who loves things like Mad Max will love this book. Yeah, I mean, well, let's um, let's get into it. But before we do, I just want to know: is it safe to say, like, with Grendel, because it's it's it seems the whole Grendel moniker seems to be a um, like a belief or a faith, um, but it seems to be much more as well. Do, do people get infused with this Grendel spirit and become, um, you know, become? It's all kind Grendel. of well. I, I can't say for sure because sure, I haven't read every single piece, mm-hmm. but like, I think it's always kept kind of intentionally vague, yeah. So that people can kind of do their own interpretations and play with the different concepts. Um, but yeah, I think the the Hunter Rose, the original Grendel, is yeah. kind of like somehow a Christ-like figure for for the, the warrior class, okay. and everybody aspires to be this this. Um, you know, perfect warrior kind of concept. Um, yeah, it, but I don't think there's any sort of actual uh, divine or, or spiritual like powers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> connected sure. to it. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is a great, great story. Very post-apocalyptic. Um, basically, uh, I'll just read the. Um, so, written by, as you said, Darko McCann, uh, art and lettering by Edwin, um, how do you pronounce his name? Bjorkovic? Bjorkovic. Bjorkovic, yep. Uh, Colour work by Matthew Hollingsworth, uh, and cover art by Matt Wagner. Uh, and so, basically, 
so there's a group of um, of uh, a clan, and they basically um, pick up some kids who have a um, have a sickness in them, and that's kind of like been a trap for their um, set by their arch rivals, the Karantani. Uh, so this clan actually take the children, but they find that they one by one they die. Um, so they're contaminated, which means they're they're contaminated. Um, they choose that one of them uh, um, goes back, um, and uh, the others basically give themselves a warrior's death. So they they kill themselves, uh, and the the main guy I can't remember his name. Um, uh, he's part of the Agram clan. Uh, he he makes his way back, uh, and at the same time we see what seems to be a uh, a brutish figure um, kind of roaming the countryside and, and he kills a, a shepherd um, and kind of eats their sheep, uh, eats his sheep and stuff. So in the background there's this, this, this ghoulish figure. Um, back in the town, back in the Agram clan, uh, we are introduced to a few other uh, characters, the Grendel General and his son, um, as well as Zora, which is the uh, one of the female Grendels. Uh, very... Funnily, you get a bit of humour in this as well. Obviously, Mayor Three Teeth, um, he comes in and he kind of is always always bickering at the yeah, the, the the Grendel General, uh, and you see along the way he uh, loses a tooth when, whenever he gets punched, and he, he gets punched a lot. So uh, he becomes Mayor Three Teeth, Mayor Two Teeth, Mayor One Teeth, Mayor No Teeth. Um, so anyway, it's uh, it's basically the dynamic of this clan, and um, and what they do essentially is. Uh, they want to kill this beast that's roaming around in the landscape. Uh, but at the, at the same time, there's a bit of a power struggle within the clan as well. We see um, uh, the son of the Grendel general, uh, Igor. Uh, he's got uh, ulterior motives. Um, and that comes out towards the end as well, where he, he takes over um, the clan. Um, aside from that as well, we get that returning warrior, um, Drago. And he... Um, he takes on the mission to, to kill the beast, um, as well as he's got a, a, a really nice relationship with his, his younger brother as well, who, look, who looks up to him. Um, as we as we kind of go through the story, um, Drago meets the beast uh, eventually, and this is a very, very touching kind of scene here, Jason with the beast as well, because it's such an innocent thing. It's almost a, a, a mutation of, of you know this post-apocalyptic world. Um, and anyway, Zora actually trails um, trails them, and she tries to slay the beast. Um, she she's got a pretty cool lightsaber with her, um, and she ends up being being killed by the beast. Um, but Drago fulfills his mission, uh, and with a flashlight, he kind of um, uh, influences this beast to um, push the lightsaber up through his up through his head, um, killing him. Um, and yeah, it, it kind of ends with um, with the kind of takeover, the power struggle within the Agram clan as well. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah there's, very... there's a real Game of Thrones in the apocalypse kind of vibe to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I, I loved. And there's so much like like world building in mm. just two issues. Like we never see anything about these clans prior to these issues or even after the the second series it's just something they just develop inside of a single issue yeah like this entire world of how these clans interact with the local government how there's the ones who kill the monsters how there's 
power struggles within the clan, mm. and it, it's all so subtle and so beautifully set up. And then, like like you said, the scene where he convinces the the monster to essentially kill itself is just mm. like it's so simple and so effective, and yeah. it's it's just a beautiful comic. It's perfect storytelling for me. It's it's yeah, really, really exactly. I mean, it's so tight, isn't it? And you just have to jump in and. Um, it's funny you make that parallels with Game of Thrones because, you know, when you do watch that, you, you're kind of thrown in with a million characters to try and figure out who's who and people are referring to each other. And it, you can kind of get lost with this. Um, there are a handful of characters and you just you just have to jump in as well. But they are memorable, like um, uh, whether it's the mayor with his uh, three teeth um, or, or the way they look. Like, you know, the sun is always on the general's back. Um, so, I don't know, you get these relationships... That happened, and and it, you can see it kind of coming, right? You know, there, there's that one bit where the son Igor, because um, the general's like half blind, and uh, he kind of relies on the son to tell him where things are. And there's that one little scene where um, the general's getting up, and the son's going, you know, just two steps to your right or whatever, um, where the barbells are, and he intentionally um, trips up the the general um, just because obviously there's no respect there. Just those little things that you kind of pick up, um, which yeah. really kind of formulate this this dynamic within the clan and and world building as you say yeah um chad did you did you oh did you manage to read this maybe you didn't i think no i i read your oh yeah yeah what what did you make of it um so i only started reading brendel the other day and i started mm-hmm. like from the beginning with hunter rose yeah, yeah, cool. And so I start reading the Hunter Rose series and immediately jump to this this morning. <laughs> I was completely lost. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering what the hell the Argent is doing right now because apparently <laughs> he can't die. And then proclaimed, "Yeah, he was going to die." This is back in the very first arc. Yeah, and now yeah, there's right. still wandering Argent around. Just I'm lost. I'm confused, <laughs> definitely. But I really like, like you were saying, I'm one of those, like, Mad Max fanatics. I'm like, into all of that post apocalyptic, like, genre. Like, Doomsday is one of my favorite movies, despite how mm-hmm. cheesy it is. And the entire schematic of, like, the world building is is mm. reminiscent of those, but also unique to itself because it still lends itself to the Grendel mythos. Mm-hmm. So reading through it, I was, like I said, confused, but I was really yeah. enjoying it. Yeah, it is pretty cool. I mean, like the um, y- there is a lot that you have to take up um, on board, uh, but yeah, I-, I do like how the Grendel, they look pretty cool with their, with their eye makeup. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and I'm um, just like clicking through the, the pages now, um, and yeah, um, Buvik's uh, layouts are really are really good. Um, they're so, I'd say they're they're quite straightforward. Like there's nothing, um, you know, the panels are all kind of very very linear. Um, but yeah, no, there's good. a really uh, almost cinematic flow to his style. The 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 first book. Uh, the first two issues is very it's more cartoony and that's the style he was working in in Europe mm-hmm. and then um, after that he started working towards more of like a realism style oh, okay. um, 
certainly by the time he was doing like Star Wars stuff and uh, Human Target, he was doing almost photo real, like perfect anatomy, like crazy quality stuff. Oh, wow. uh, but it's it's kind of really neat to see his evolution through that. But his storytelling is always super clean. Yeah. Um, you know, his compositions like anybody can follow this stuff. It's yeah. it's there's nothing confusing about any of his layouts or, or the actual like flow of the pages. And he still has uh, some some really great uh, shots that are like kind of like establishing shots. Like there's one shot I remember of the uh, there's like a sheep herder yes. and there's this kind of like old temple behind him. Yeah. And it's just it's just a beautiful establishing shot of a, of a location that could easily have been a throwaway panel. Yeah. And it instead creates a really great atmosphere and you know, he he was just he ended up being a, a really big influence on me right after I got out of art school and I was like really really focusing on storytelling since mm. I knew I didn't really have like a super commercial uh, like mainstream style like I was never going to be like an image guy mm. so I wanted to really focus on on tight clean storytelling yeah and and I can say I'm just looking at the artwork as well and you're mentioning about the the external shots of the the architecture which is which is really impressive um, but also Buvix's use of the backgrounds as well like he, he uses them sparingly but not to the point where you you look at the panels and you go oh he's obviously like he may run out of time or what have you <laughs> um, there, there are shots there you know where uh, I'm looking at with Zora fighting the beast and and Drago looking on um, they they basically focus on on the action so he draws away from the the backgrounds there at all and you don't get you don't get any of that um, but where you know as you say where he has establishing shots um, similar to where the beast is dead and and you see Drago um, hunched down dead and you have the crew of the general there in front of them and his posse um, you just get the nice silhouette of that um, of the architecture in the background as well very evocative stuff yeah yeah um, oh actually and also as well if I'm looking here as well towards the end um, so he does really lay um, he really starts to get a lot of detail as well so at the end where the the brother of Drago is at his um, his grave and is talking to him in the grave and and offering him a, a pigeon like a, a blood offering uh, there's like a like a tilted uh, I don't know what is it it's like a monument which is covered in in leaves and vines and uh, it's quite it's quite well detailed compared to you know what you usually see, and it, it really does strike out. And he has that come overlay um, on top of all the, the panels above it as well. Um, so yeah, the, the, the quite quite interesting um, interesting ways to, to lay out stuff as well. Uh, did you get a chance to read the the, the four issue arc? That's the continuation with the uh, no, I haven't. Basically. No, so I'm, yeah. The younger brother becomes like a one of the prime Grendel warriors, and awesome. the, the 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 son of the the clan chief is now clan chief, and you get to kind of see what's happened as he's aged and evolved, and like it's it's really it, it's the same kind of story but bigger and and with more world building and wow. like in four issues it does just an incredible amount of stuff. Like definitely check it out. It. It's, yeah. it's this but bigger <laughs> well well, yeah I'm interested like as you said that he changes his art style as well so it'll be interesting to see how uh, is that right in those four issues that he's it, changed mm-hmm. his style yeah yeah it'll be yeah. interesting to see it's definite evolution and and do you know was it uh, was that series like a few years after this one or 
or was it like immediately after? I don't know. Uh, okay. I I had the original issues somewhere, but I I've yeah. basically just had the trade for a while. And uh, the, okay. the collection has all six issues. Um, right, right. But yeah, I can't yeah. quite... I, I'm, I'm guessing there was other stuff that came yeah. out between. So maybe it was like a year later. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, just just wondering, um, you know, how we developed your style and we had it leap across into a different style. Um, I'm reading this from um, Grendel Tales Omnibus, Volume 1. So uh, yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, Jason, yeah, it, it ends... That's probably on, Volume 2. <laughs> Oh, okay, right. Um, yeah, volumes is probably... Uh, this one was released, though... Oh, actually, you're probably right. I think there was one that was released February this year, and I thought it was this omnibus, but it might be actually volume two. So, um, so loonies, if you do want to check this out, uh, it is available in a collected omnibus form. So just check out uh, Matt Wagner's Grendel Tales omnibus, uh, as well as I'm sure there are older prints uh, in trade of this. I think, as you alluded to, Jason... Uh, there's probably a collected version of of this arc um, as a trade, but um, you know trades go out of print and stuff. They're probably hard to find. Um, also check out um, Comicsology um, for your digital version as well. Actually, should make mention as well all the other ones um, that we've gone through, Jason. Uh, largely, I'm just looking through now. Ooh, um, I'm not too sure if that would be available in in digital, like your, your Sergeant Rocks and your GI Joes. Um, yeah, they're pretty old. I actually, yeah. I know, um, who is it? IDW did a yep. silent interlude re-release, oh, okay. kind of like an anniversary issue, uh, yep. like recolored edition. Uh, I haven't seen it, but I know it exists. Okay, okay, so that's so that, out there. That some... might be on Comicsology. Yeah, okay, so that could be on Comicsology. I'm assuming Hard Boiled might be on Comicsology as well, um, at least the collect the collection of it. Um, Daredevil will be on Marvel Unlimited or Comixology. I'm pretty sure um, they, they do um, put on a lot of Daredevil stuff, so just check out your digital uh, options there, loonies, if you, um, if you are keen to follow up on this. Uh, Jason, this has been uh, an absolute blast. Thank you so much for, for, for joining us. Um, for oh, I did issues. ask the editor if he would give me any uh, juicy tidbits about uh, Moon Knight's future, but he wouldn't tell me Ooh. anything. <laughs> uh, is, uh, is that that's, can, is that J- Jake Thomas? I, yeah, yeah. Jake. yeah I, I, I can tell you that um, I do issue 197 and 198, and then mm-hmm. I believe the artist who did uh, 95 and 96 is uh-huh. doing 199 and 200. Oh, I'm not okay. sure about after that. I can tell you that I'm off the book, at least for now, because yeah. I'm starting my new project <gasps> at Marvel. Oh. Oh, I, I can't say what it is entirely, oh, but it is uh-huh. my bucket list project. So yeah, really? it's oh going God. to be amazing. As soon as I can, I'll talk about the it. The challenge is whether <laughs> we can work it out from what you've said today in terms of what yeah. makes you like and your influences. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. Possible, yeah, yeah. <laughs> some, some subconscious uh, selection there, Jason. That maybe. When can uh, we uh, expect to hear about it, Jason? Get yeah. to it, listeners. I'm, well, I'm starting it this weekend because I just finished 198. Oh, wow. Um, mm-hmm. So I would hope that they'll announce it pretty soon. It mm. should be a pretty big deal for Marvel. I think uh, yeah. San Diego's coming up. So. It is. Yeah. And yeah. also yeah. Uh, October solicits should be soon as well because we're starting yeah. to get the first info from them. 
Yeah, Just, Rebecca uh, and Rebecca and Connor are very much finger on the pulse <laughs> with solicitor. They're they're great in that res- in regard, Jason. I can just ask them and what he's basically saying is we live online. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, no, it is. So, be honest, Ray. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, no, but look, I'll be keeping my eyes peeled for this as well, Jason. That's great news. My gosh, but I mean, it's a shame I, that I you're, you're going to be off Moon Knight. Like yeah, if, yeah, if all this so. works out, because the thing I'm doing is six issues, and at the end of yeah. that, I'm hoping I can get Jake to put me back on Moon Knight because yeah. I enjoy it a lot. It's it's a really fun character. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how how they go about deciding and stuff, but you know, just let Jake know that there's a whole heap of Mooney fans. I mean, seriously, um, your artwork in in the current run of Moon Knight has been a standout. For, yeah, for tell a lot him of to the, go listen the to the first uh, the first review of yeah. the first issue. And our reaction to your art. Like, exactly. It's the first time a lot of us had seen your art and the reaction yeah. that it got. I was yeah. terrified to follow Greg Small, Smallwood. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, I would be as well. <laughs> yeah. He's I'd, just amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. But I think you've done very well. I mean, like, you've, you've encapsulated, and same with Bemis, encapsulated a different aspect yeah. of Moon Knight. Um, and, and that's just fantastic. I mean, that's what, that's what we love about Moon Knight. Every volume, if you look at it, is quite different um you know fans may love and hate it um but they're basically look at um the houston run uh, lemire run the bemis run now they're all distinctly different um and that's what's great about it um, yeah. so yeah so jason if you if you do manage to make your way back towards moon Knight, that'll be fantastic we'll be all looking out for this uh this new uh, bucket listed uh, title mm. that you'll be on which would be fantastic um, so thank I'll you so much it all over social media as soon as I'm yeah. alive oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah do it do it <laughs> um, yeah so big thank you for for making the time to um to jump onto our little podcast um, I'm sure a lot of loonies will be absolutely tough to, to hear you on um, and we're we're just so excited to have had you on it, it, it's been brilliant so thank you yeah, yeah, a lot of thank fun. You. No worries. Um, before we go as well, um, I've got a little thing that I'll, I'll play now. Um, I had tried to um, get in contact with Max Bemis himself, um, and he's been very kind to respond, which is really good. Um, and he actually sent me this little clip um, just to, to add into this show. So uh, I'll play that right now. Guys, I haven't slept. And... Uh... I'm listening to the podcast for the first time tonight. I love you. I love everyone who listens to this podcast and uh, trying to be quiet so I don't wake the kids, but I'm floored and honored to be writing Food Night for people like you. Um, And I can only hope that that my dogs don't wake up my kids. (laughs) <laughs> because uh, clearly I'm a fan of my children. Um, anyway, thank you guys so much um, for every kind word you've said about the book and for the support and, uh, you know, I'm weird. Uh, thank you so much, Max Venus. That was fantastic. And um, and Jason, um, Max had, had told me as well that he unfortunately hadn't been able to um, to, to catch you on the phone um, or, or meet you, but he uh, he said to, to send his sincere uh, love to you. So um, <laughs> yeah, so he he, he actually he called you um, his muse actually as well. So 
yeah, he, he's, he's a yeah. He sounds like a very nice guy, and he can he can't say a, a bad thing about you. So um, he is very happy and jealous that you're on the show. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you, Max, and and thank you once again, Jason, uh, Connor. Um, I guess to wrap things up, where can Loonies usually find us? Uh, Loonies can usually find us. We have our website, intothenightpodcast.wordpress.com. That's where we have everything, all our posts, all previous episodes, links, updates, newsletters. Find them all there. Our uh, Facebook page is facebook.com slash Moonlight, And then our fantastic Facebook group where we met Chad and many great people like them, facebook.com slash groups slash ITK Moon Knight. Uh, we're around the internet as well. We're on Spotify. We're on uh, Stitcher. All the good podcast catches. Music, Google Play. Uh, on YouTube as well. Hopefully just wherever you can find us. And make sure to email us as well. Um, I forgot our email address. Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Different from the ITK Moon Knight. But it's all around. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just... Uh, and contact us. Any thoughts on the show? All our updates will be there and find the group for, for a good moonlight time, as they say that in all the books. It's a very painful. <laughs> yes, and um, and of course, thank you, Chad, as well for joining us. Uh, Chad's uh, one of our fantastic loonies in, in the group, uh, and thanks uh, to Rebecca and to Connor as well for for such a cool discussion. <laughs> and uh, thank right. you, uh, Burrows, yeah, for joining us on our. 50 episode, yeah. you know, starting mm. from top with our small little, like, episode zero recap from two people who didn't really know how to podcast. Now we've got <laughs> massive, legitimate talent talking to us about comics and just having a good time. I know. Just Can you believe it? About, about a year. It's yeah. been great. It's been fun. Like, the this, is, this project, Moon Knight, has been the first time that I've uh, worked on something that has that kind of, like, fan community. Uh, you know, Alan Moore has a lot of fans, but it's not the it's not the same vibe as like, you yeah. know, the the kind of like superhero fans that you get for someone like Moon Knight. Mm. It's 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 definitely yeah. cool. Like you get to you get to feel like you know there's like a a, a bigger reading audience out there who you know really cares about the character. And you'll now oh, always yeah. be part of it as well. You'll you'll now always be part yeah. of the Moon Knight sort of legacy and sort of you know people who've been touched by Moon Knight and you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's it's so cool, so cool. Well, um, with that, I um, I guess our time is up on Isla Ra here. I think the the only thing to do now is to, I don't know. You've got to suit up, Rebecca. Connie, you've got to transform. Um, Chad, you've got to uh, astral project, and and I'll get the rowboat out, and uh, and I'll take Jason home as well. So with that, uh, may con oh not may may Connor may conchu October. <laughs> I mean, I'll watch over you guys too. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Catch you later. Moon Knight and affiliated characters, stories and events are properties of Marvel Characters Incorporated. Materials used and discussed within the podcast are intended for critique and review purposes only under the fair dealing concept of the current Copyright Act. The views, information or opinions expressed during the podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the copyright owners.